Good afternoon and welcome to the Sitka Nature Show. This is your host, Matt. I want to thank you for joining me here as we are entering into the last full week of October 2022. After a remarkably warm beginning to the month, it's finally starting to cool off. Yesterday was our first day with an official high that didn't reach 50. I thought that was pretty unusual, but it turns out there's been a handful of other years that didn't reach 50 till either even later in the month. However, I think what was particularly unusual about the warmth this month was how many days got into the 60s, including one day hitting 70, which I believe is the latest on record that a 70 degree temperature was reached at the airport here in Sitka. And that record goes back to about 1944. And there's a couple of gaps in the early years there. But I thought that was some interesting weather trivia for this month, but certainly seems to be cooling down and looking at the forecast, it seems like it will be cooler snow down on the mountains the last couple of days has been quite striking, especially yesterday when we have a lot more blue sky. I always love the fresh snow against the blue sky, especially this early time of the fall season or later in the fall, but early time of snow on the mountains where you can still see a lot of the texture that hasn't been softened by that deeper snow. It's been an exciting week for unusual birds here in Sitka. The Hiraman skull has continued to be seen. But most exciting was a black and white warbler that I found on Castle Hill Thursday. It showed uh, nicely. It disappeared for times, but a number of folks were able to see it that day. It stuck around for a second day and was seen on Friday as well. Had a little better weather, mixed rain and clouds with some sunshine in there and got some even better looks at it. Learned that it also liked to forage in the spruce trees, which I thought was curious. I hadn't even thought to look there for warblers because in the past when I've seen warblers on Castle Hill, they really focus their attention on those large maple trees there. So it's fun to watch that bird. It's a new one for Sitka, never been reported here, and is only about the 12th report for Alaska as a whole. So a very unusual bird, much more common, well, expected ranges in the eastern part of North America and not really expected to come to the West Coast at all. With two very unusual birds for Alaska showing here in Sitka, three Anchorage birders made the trip down to visit this weekend. They arrived on Friday and were able to see both the black and white warbler and the Hearman skull. With their primary targets uh, found on that first day, they spent their second day in town just birding and seeing what they could find. They found a few nice birds during their efforts, but the highlight was certainly the tropical kingbird that they found late in the afternoon along Edgecombe Drive. It was flying between the wires and the top of trees, flycatching. It's a robin-sized flycatcher, striking bird with bright yellow breast and belly and a gray back. And especially against the blue sky, I just was particularly taken in that light, late afternoon sunlight. I was able to observe it there with them. It is the second record for Sitka out of about 12 in Alaska, although strangely enough, four of those 12 records have been this fall with two in Ketchikan and one near Petersburg. So it's been an unusual year for those birds in Alaska. It is the time of year that vagrants like to show up. Well, I don't know if they like to, but they do show up. And I'd love to hear if you're seeing anything out there that looks a little different to you. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or you can get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. With all the birding excitement, I decided to dip back in the archives and pull out a conversation I recorded back in March of 2016 with Lynn Barber. She was just getting started on an Alaska big year where she tried to observe as many species as she could in Alaska. She ultimately finished the year with 307 species, 
by a large margin, as best I can tell, that is the most species anyone has yet reported in the state in a calendar year. We spoke about her big year efforts and how she got into birding, but we'll go ahead and join the conversation and talking a little bit about the big year birding she's done. You've traveled around North America doing a big year, around Texas, South Dakota, a couple different counties in South Dakota. And so then this year, you've been your, your husband works with the National Weather Service and, and got a job in Anchorage. And so you moved to Anchorage, is it a little over a year ago now? Yes. Yeah. And so um, like you, you're a blogger with the ABA on the ABA's web blog. And um, so that's actually where I've, I had started reading your posts there, I think, because I was subscribed to their blog. Even before you moved to, I think about the time you moved to South Dakota, maybe, I started reading there. And, um, and then so I saw when you moved to Alaska and, and sort of the hints that, well, maybe I'll do a big year in Alaska. <laughs> and it didn't take long. Uh, and so that's what brought you to Sitka then. We had a wood duck show up, uh, I don't know, about about three weeks ago, I guess, and I got a message from you on, on Facebook. I hear there's a wood duck. Uh, and wood duck's one of those bo- birds that in Alaska uh, you can't count on. I mean, they show up most years, I think, but when you're doing a big year, you got to kind of go for it when they're there, I suppose. Race off. <laughs> yeah. So that's, and, and I guess you mentioned today while we were out, we did a little birding today. You got the wood duck right away, so that was, I'm sure, a relief. It Definitely. doesn't always work that way. <laughs> Um, and, and, uh, you, you spoke a little bit about birding in Alaska is kind of slow. You did a, it looked like, sound, seems like you did a, a bit of a, uh, a race essentially at the beginning of the, the year to catch all those lingering birds, uh, that were still around as the, the, the sort of arbitrary date of January 1st. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about how that's, how it's gone for you so far? Uh, well, the nice thing is almost every winter, almost everywhere you are, something is around that is wonderful and you, you need to go that, get that bird first. And you hope that while you're going for the rarities that you'll pick up all the other little birds and, that are around that are the normal birds so you don't have to go back and find them later. Uh, so there were a couple birds in uh, Juneau and Ketchikan that sounded like I really wanted to get them. And so I planned to stay in Anchorage the first two days of the year and – you know, just get the regular normal birds in Anchorage and then go off to Juneau and Ketchikan. But shortly before the year began, a bird was reported in Kodiak that I had not seen in the U.S. of A. anywhere, a uh, common poachard or pochard, and it's a duck. And so I changed my plans, made last-minute plans, had to pay through the nose and spent New Year's Eve in a hotel, motel in Kodiak so that I could start the year getting it, and I did. So it was the second bird of the year. The first one, I think, was a bald eagle, so... Well, that's a good good bird for the yeah. state, especially yeah. south coastal Alaska. Um, <laughs> and so that's, I mean, I suppose that's kind of the way that it goes. It's it's uh, especially in a state like Alaska, it's big. Things aren't that accessible. It's it's not a lot of people birding. I mean, it's very like compared to the. I suppose when you birded in Texas, there's people reporting from all over the state. Uh, there are, yeah, yeah. Uh, early on when I started doing uh, my first big year in Texas, though, it was just people are starting to get used to reporting mm. online. Oh, right. Uh, it was only yeah. 2003, which doesn't seem that long ago. But <laughs> yeah, it's changed a lot, you know. And uh, you know, I guess in the even in the 90s, you know, there were some phone trees around, and email was just getting started. Right. And then probably people were. I guess there, there reaches a tipping point where there's enough people and sort of a critical mass forms, and then and then folks start looking for that and start having that be their default way of reporting. Um, so I guess you know, so 2003 was your first big year that you did, right? And actually, it didn't it wasn't I didn't think of it as a big year. Yeah, the year before, um, I'd been standing at a lake in te- North Texas talking to a birder 
who I hardly knew, but we were just chit-chatting and we look, we're still looking at the loons on the lake, but we were not mostly birding. We were just talking. And he said, oh, it's getting near the end of the year and I've got to get my 400 birds for the year. And I thought, 400 birds for the year? And I thought he meant in Texas. Yeah. He didn't actually mean in Texas. Oh, he meant okay. in the whole wide world, I think. <laughs> but I thought, okay, next year I'm going to try to get 400 birds in Texas. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't actually think about big year and about – February, I was chasing some bird in North Texas, and I met a man who was doing a big year. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God. But I had other plans, and I left the country and went birding elsewhere. Um, but by the end of the year, I was five shy of the previous record, but he beat the previous record by 15. Oh, yeah. So, so then I was hooked, but, but I didn't sort of get it together to actually do what I called a real big year until yeah. 2005. So. And and so, how much planning are you? You know, so that first one where you you kind of did a big year almost by I, accident. Yeah, I didn't really plan yeah. it. I just looked at the bird book and thought, oh, gotta go there, mm, gotta go there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, your 2005 big year in Texas, did you do a, quite a bit of planning? Yeah, I did. I did. I made a lot of. You know, I looked. I mean, there were. I had lived in Texas five years, mm-hmm. but I had and I explored it because I was doing a. a, a I was doing a thing that birders don't usually do, but I was trying to get at least one bird in each one of the 254 counties of Texas. Oh, wow. So I had explored by just sort of plotting out a route map that took me to like six counties in a day, and I would yeah. you know, get something, and then I'd go to another county. Um, so I knew some of the areas, but I hadn't been to many of the good areas. I'd just been past different counties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I had to plan and start to figure out where I needed to go and what what areas were good. And there's some really good bird finding guides in Texas yeah. that I could just sort of pour through and plot my, my year. Yeah. So. And so, um, well, you've been a birder for a lot longer. So like you, you started birding, I think you told me earlier at, at I, seven. I, I, yes. At age seven, at least there's a little notebook that is dated when I was seven years old. Oh, okay. And so if possibly I did before, but I do not know. Oh, that. wow. So, so, uh, <laughs> do you, do you have any recollection of what, what kind of got you started in birds or is it just, the first bird I remember, my parents moved to the country when I was a little over five. They moved mm-hmm. from a suburb area and they had bought a 160 run, acre rundown farm. And it had all these little lanes through the fields and around. And I would just, you know, we were just free to wander where we were. And my, we all wanted to. My sis, little sister would tag along sometimes, but mostly I would just wander off by myself. And the thing, the first thing I remember was walking down one of these lanes and there's a hazel brush, we called it, along one of the, along the lanes, all thick brush and a bird dove across right in front of me and dove into that brush and i i had no idea what it was or what was going on and i stuck my nose in the brush and, and there was a nest and it turned out to be a brown thrasher nest oh, wow. so that's my first memory of a, a finding a bird yeah <laughs> i've never seen another brown thrasher nest oh you found it first time and, <laughs> right huh. so that was uh so that was in wisconsin you grew mm-hmm. up in wisconsin yes. and and uh started well, I guess you were hooked from that point. Oh, yeah. 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 And my parents, you know, they were not birders, but my mother yeah. loved plants and, you know, was outside looking at nature a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and they bought me a little crummy pair of binoculars. I mean, I still have them, the crummy mm-hmm. little pair of binoculars. Um, you know, they etch your glasses if you put them up to your glasses because <laughs> they don't have eye relief. They don't have anything, but yeah. they worked. And they bought two bird books, a land bird book and a water bird book, that a set that went mm-hmm. together. And then there's a little golden guide. Right. And... Shortly after I got we got the bird books, they were really supposedly for my sister and for me, but they mm-hmm. were mine. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, I left the land bird book outside overnight in the rain. And the water, there are plates in the center where all the f- pictures were, and the water made all the draw- paintings run pink to the side. 
but, oh. the, but you could still see the color on the paintings, but there was all this, all the pages were pink, basically. Yeah. Um, but my mother and my father said, that's your book. You're stuck with it. We're buying you a new one. I still have that pink, oh, wow. pink bird book. Um, so. so from, from <laughs> the very beginning. Yeah. And, uh, so did you start, uh, you know, not, uh, of course, one of the fun things about birding is there's all sorts of different ways, uh, you know, you just watch the birds in your yard and, and never care even what their names are, anything uh, to the sort of extreme, extreme listers, um, which I suppose you're at least in part, you, you maybe you span a whole a whole range of that set, but but certainly uh, done a little more listing than than most folks end up doing. Right. Uh, I, when I was in high school, I think what got me thinking about listing as our high school biology teacher did had the students do, I think it was called a phonology chart. Oh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. A list of all the spring things, whatever. Mm-hmm. You could do anything. And, of course, for me, it was birds. I mean, you had to put down, you know, the first daffodil or the first dandelion or mm-hmm. whatever. But I made a bird list, a separate bird list as part of that, and I illustrated it yeah. and turned it in. Of course, got A++ on it. Yeah. And then I took uh, advanced biology as a senior and he had us do that again. And so yeah. I did that twice. And sort of, I had a year list. That's the first time I ever made a year list. Yeah. It was really a spring list, but yeah. it's basically a year list. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that got me interested in doing it. And, and somehow I started making a year list starting January 1st. Yeah. Before I even had a clue what a big year was. I just, I'm curious how many I would get in a year. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's kind of fun just to track, you know, I, that's, that's the sort of thing that I do. I don't have, any expectation that I'm going to be breaking any records with my, but it's curious. Like for me, it's just interesting from year to year. I mean, is it, it is. pretty stable? I mean, there's always strange birds that show up and, and there's always the birds that are there every year. And then there's the birds that are there sometimes. And then over the course of the year, you know, just how many, how many am I going to see? Uh, and, and so it is kind of fun just to keep track of that and then look back over time. Yeah. And, there's an astounding amount of variability from mm-hmm. year to year. Um, you know, some years you, I mean, Doing two big years in Texas really taught me a lot. I mean, birds that I nearly felt like I was going to kill for in my first big year, you know, fell into my lap early on. I mean, yeah. and the other way around, the things that, you know, I, I couldn't get my first year. I mean, they were easy and they were other way around. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's astounding. Yeah, it is. It is, <laughs> you know, especially uh, it, it, it's easy to get, you know, take for granted things. You, you know, have a couple of years and like, oh, that's common and no, no big deal. And then turns out like red-breasted nuthatch for me is like that because – they're not that unusual in the state. Um, and I had one show up, you know, one of the first years I was breed, uh, uh, birding, it showed up at my feeders and stayed there all winter. And I just watched watched it all winter. And somebody, I mentioned that sort of casually later. And somebody's like, oh, I've never seen a red brown. I'm like, well, they're at my feeder all the time. I don't know what's really? going on. And then that was the last time one visited my feeder. <laughs> like, I haven't seen one. I mean, I've seen them since. But right. it was just it was just one of those things that that, that year I, I like, I didn't know any better, really. I just assumed that's yeah. how it was. And, and then the next year, I think the next two years, I didn't even see one at all, probably. So. Well, last year, my first winter in Anchorage, there, was, there were two finches that were rare for the area, Cassin's finch and purple mm. finch, wintering together in the same park, and everybody could see them all the time. I have neither of them this year. Right. I probably won't get either of them this yeah. year. Um, and, but the last year, they were common. Yeah. I mean, for us in Easy Anchorage, to find, yeah. Easy to find. Yeah. And you knew where they were and you could go get them. And I wish I could this year, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's kind of the way that it works sometimes. It's uh, a little bit a little bit funny. I mean, it's, uh, it's just sort of random, I suppose. They, they show up places and then somebody's got to notice them and bring them to the attention of folks who are interested. And then once that happens, right. then it seems like, especially in a place like Anchorage, it seems like there's a pretty good birding community there of people that it are is. out paying attention. But those two finches, they were in the area that I 
helps with the Christmas countdown maybe oh, yeah. a week or two before that. We, oh. didn't, we didn't get them for the Christmas count huh. at all. Nobody did. I and, mean, even after the count for the week. And then they showed up. And they, then somebody found them, and there they were. And they, huh. Somebody put up a feeder right that area, so then they stayed. Right, right. Oh, <laughs> so, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so so you were when you were birding in Texas, your, your, your big year, and you said that was 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and then was your – so ABA area is, is – uh, it's basically North America, north of Mexico. Is that right. right? And not and – not, off the mainland, more than 200 miles, so okay. not Hawaii, right? Um, and no, no far out islands. <laughs> no far out. So the Aleutians count. The, the Aleutians count all the way to the yeah, end. Yeah, to the end, but yeah. but uh, not not. Uh, how about the Caribbean? Does it? No. So the Caribbean doesn't no. count either. So when you're doing that, and so that that's actually what they were doing in the movie, The Big Year. Right. It was an ABA Big Year, yes. um, and it was sort they of they sort of played fast and loose with the facts, a right? Little bit, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it was kind of loosely based on, I guess, the 1998 right. uh, sort of birding season or, or year, essentially. Um, and and I guess. I mean, there's not that many people that have got over 700 species in a year, it seems like. That's still a relatively... No, there's a man who has, who formed loosely a group called, he calls the 700 Club. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm the only woman in that. Oh, okay. And they're, at the time, he they, they have met twice. I was visiting my sister in England the second time, so I didn't go to that. But the first time was down in the valley in Texas after I moved to South Dakota. And there were, I think, 10 men and me. Yeah. There, one person who was in the that quote group club was too ill to come. I think. Yeah. But so that was that was it. And then since then, there are two or three that have done that. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's been you know that's one of the things I guess with the rise of the internet and and web blogging and things like that 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 it's actually you know I I uh, I caught the end of uh, was it I think his name is John Vanderpool. Mm-hmm. So when he he got stuck out on ADAC. Right. In bluebird weather, it, I mean that was it was kind of fun. I mean I'm sure it was frustrating for him, but it was it was interesting because ADAC is so so known for its bad weather. Right, and they, the weather was perfect, but it was the sensors <laughs> that were down and they couldn't fly in. So oh, wow. then he missed some <laughs> other. Right. I think he ended up one off of of the the record at the time. Um, and then I guess it was Neil Hayward. It's maybe a couple years ago now. Yeah. Um, who uh, his he his weblog was called like the accidental big year or something right. like that. I heard him talk. Um, he was in Homer oh, okay. last year. He, he came was, up for the the Shorebird Festival. Yeah, he was okay. one of the speakers. The yeah, main, one of the guest main guest speakers. It was interesting. I I can't remember quite when I picked up his weblog. Probably in in the summer sometime and. And then I went back and read it, and he was like, well, I, I got to March and realized I had a really good year list right. already, so I might right. as well go as well. go all in. And, and it seems like he broke the record right. um, at the time. And I, th- I think he pretty much did it full time. Yeah, after that? I think so. I mean, after, I mean yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, once he started. Yeah, to, and I, he has, his employment allowed him to just yeah. abandon it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's part of the, part of the, the, the trouble is like – you essentially to get 700 birds in a year. You mean you're traveling to all corners of the right. of the continent? Right. And I don't. I mean, do you have a, a sense off the top of your head? I'm uh, how many of those are, are sort of uh, expected regularly occurring birds versus ones that you're chasing vagrants? Because at that level, you you have to chase. Well, vagrants. you have to get a lot of vagrants. You have yeah. to get. I don't know. I, mean, I had a list of all the, the the American Birding Association classifies birds, and you know, mm-hmm. five is. Imp- nearly impossible to get six is extinct, and yeah. one is all the all the ones that are everywhere. Yeah, um, and you have to get all the threes. I think maybe one or two misses. I missed, I think, two of the 
the ones that I should have gotten. One yeah. was Boreal All, which I've seen three times this year already. <laughs> <laughs> I just missed it. And I missed, um, while I was up in Alaska getting the, the gray-headed chickadee, I missed Connecticut Warbler the only time it was singing. I went back to Michigan and played tapes forever to try to yeah. lure it out of the bushes. Did not ever find a Connecticut Warbler. Those two birds are my biggest misses. Interesting. So the Connecticut Warbler, Connecticut, Connecticut warbler is not one I'm familiar with, but I'm assuming that it's it's like its normal range is is in North America. Yeah, it's East Coast, but it's hard to find if it's not singing. Is that yeah? And it's it a skulker little bird. Yeah. I mean, it's in the in the deep woods, and it's if it's not singing, you will not find it. I see. And in the fall, I knew I'd missed it in the spring already because I was stopped singing by the time I got back to the lower forty eight. Mm-hmm. And in the fall, I would, was following what birds were being seen, and people would report, Connecticut Warbler in Virginia. But, you know, it was going through. It was migrating. And, like, yeah. I couldn't just get on a plane and get it. Yeah. I just – there was other there were other things left to get <laughs> that, right, that were right. more more predictable. <laughs> right. So you're, so you're chasing probably a bunch of vagrants. Pretty much anything, anything – anytime anything interesting, you know, shows up in North America – Right. Like you have to make that decision. Is this something I'm going to go? Right. I can't remember after? where I was. I think I was in Oregon when a little egret from Europe mm-hmm. <laughs> was in Massachusetts or somewhere out in the East yeah. Coast. Well, in theory, I could have dropped everything, gotten a special flight out there to get it. But where I was, wherever I can't remember, I was getting a lot of things. <laughs> right. So, and 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 the odd one of the most hard things to comprehend about doing a big year is that a starling or a rock pigeon or the commonest bird that you see every day is exactly worth as much, which is one, to the little egret or the you know rare, rare, rare things. They, yeah. They're all one. Yeah. So you can't just obsess over getting all the rarities. Which I, The only time I did that was for the chickadee, the gray-headed chickadee. Yeah. I just thought, that's one I want. <laughs> so for the gray-headed chickadee, for folks that don't know, it's actually not that unusual, as I understand, in, in like Scandinavia. I have seen them in, in – uh, Finland. Finland, okay. Many, many years ago. But there's a small population in North America. Right. Some in the Yukon and some in Alaska. And they're and they're pretty much like Brooks Range. You have yeah, to pretty, just far up there. <laughs> kind of go on a on a, a week a week long trip. Yeah, into a the rafting range. trip going through. The, I think the Canning River was the main river mm-hmm. we were on. And and you found them up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so most people doing a big year don't actually like that bird isn't worth the seven days no, to it's, find. It's only one bird. <laughs> right. And so so for you though it was you know part of the aesthetic. It's, it's a, cho- so it's it's like, a choice yeah. you make. I mean you have yeah. to make choices, and that's just one of the choices. That's the one that I think it was John Vanderpool when I met the year later said. So why did you? And then he stopped. He realized. We all make the choices. Yeah, you, you know, you, he, you you can criticize somebody else, but it's your choice, and there's no bad, there's no wrong or right. Yeah. It's, you're just going and <laughs> and so do you did you keep track by chance of of like the miles that you put in Oh yeah um the Texas the ABA big year was fewer miles driving cuz I flew mm-hmm. right places. yeah and I actually may I put in a plug Oh sure um my I have a book called Extreme Birder One Woman's Big Year about my my North American big year mm-hmm. and that has a table in it <laughs> among other things that has the miles and the and miles flown estimate miles driven actual mm-hmm. and uh days spent i actually wore a pedometer during oh, it yeah. it's also miles walked during oh, yeah. the, just out of curiosity uh-huh. um so it's got all these little tidbits in there <laughs> plus lots of pictures and, yeah and a sort of a, a journal of the year yeah so you um 
Did you also – you must have done some pelagic, pelagic trips Did to get out on the ocean. Did 10 pelagic trips. Um, prior to that, I lived in North Carolina years ago, and pelagic trips always made me sick. Yeah. But I just – well, when, and I never, during my big year, when I knew I had to do pelagic trips, never got sick once. And the last one was a two-day pelagic out of San Diego that it was so wonderful, I couldn't stand the thought that it was going to end. Oh, wow. We got two birds for two days out on, out on the ocean. <laughs> so, And that, I suppose, you know, I, I mean, I imagine it's just like anywhere else. There's the regular birds, and then there's the chance to see right. the rare birds that might be drifting up from further south where their right. normal range is, right. or, or I guess either east or west yeah. in some right. cases as well. Yeah, so there were pelagic trips. Um, I guess I counted one of them as not, it wasn't a real, a pelagic trip is just a trip out on the ocean. And I, when I was out on ADAC, we took a trip on the ocean. Oh, okay. And a little bouncing boat. It was not yeah. your normal pelagic, it was, but it was out there and got me good birds. Was that for like the whiskered auklet? Yes. And, and yeah. I had never seen a whiskered auklet anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I thought I had, I had understood from my little research that, that Dutch Harbor was the best place to get them. And it is definitely supposed to be yeah. the place. I'm going there for my first time this oh, year. okay. But yeah. I went to ADAC and we took this little boat out and the captain and the leader that I was with, Estimated we had 25,000 whiskered auklets oh, wow. off ADAC. So I got them. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lot of birds. I <laughs> yeah. know I know, uh, I know. know that some friends went out to ADAC this spring, and I don't think they saw whiskered auklets, but they, they stayed on go, shore. You have to go yeah. on a boat. Yeah. And they, on apparently boat. there's nobody out there that takes the boat, which is why I'm going to the charter this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, so so in, um, after you did the, the sort of the big ABA big year, um, then – uh, was the next big year after you moved to Sandy, uh, South San Diego, Dakota. South Dakota? Yeah, I, the the ABA one was in 2008. Mm-hmm. We moved to South Dakota in 2010. Um, and um, the reason we moved places is because my husband likes to change jobs. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have any idea how – and he was in a sort of an intern job in South Dakota. And I knew he would be looking for something, not an intern job, yeah. beyond that. So I didn't have any idea how long we were going to stay. So I thought – Okay, if I want to do a South Dakota big year, I just have to do it. Yeah. Sort of like this year. Yeah. <laughs> Only I knew even less then. I hadn't even been in the state a year. Yeah. Um, and and a friend of mine and I and then two other people did a South Dakota big year in 2012. Okay. Yeah. Twelve. So um, I guess I guess before I ask you a little more about that. That was eleven. Actually. Yeah. What's the recovery like? So <laughs> you spend you spend all of 2008 just like I, I mean. How many days at home did you have where you're sort of relaxing? Um, not very many. Yeah, I, would, I mean, I would even when not. I was home, there were birds to try to get in yeah. North Texas. So, yeah. Um, but so not many. I don't know. I, it's in the book. There's, there's right. It's in the book list. there. I, I I I'm good at keeping track of numbers while I'm doing it. But yeah. Then they, I go I, on and I forget I all fade that. Fade a little bit. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So yeah. for the most part, you're not hanging out and relaxing at home much at no, all. No. 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 It's, it's like, no. 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 Got to go and 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 I, you, I actually do work. I, yeah. Actually, I work oh, for you were myself. Work, you were working. I, work, I still am working I, while doing that. I am a patent attorney. <laughs> oh, okay. But I have. I, I am a solo practitioner, and mm-hmm. I, most of my clients are um, in Sweden because one of my major clients in North Carolina many years ago was bought out by a Swedish company, and that company still, and another company in Sweden that have similar employees, yeah. overlapping employees, um, are still my clients, and so they're ten hours ahead of me. So. I wake up in the morning and check my emails. Thank goodness for emails. And yeah. then I do during the day. Yesterday, I had emails and I was coming to Sitka today. So I was 
scrambling to do all the work I need to do yesterday so yeah. I could leave today. Well, and I suppose that's <laughs> like if you're going to contemplate a big year, you either have to have flexible work like that yes, yes. or you have to have the wherewithal to not you work. You have for... to be, have to have a rich person yes. supporting you. I give talks on my big year and people often ask, would you do it again? And I say, after my big ABA big year, which is yeah. a really spendy one, and I say, if I can find somebody to support me, and yeah. I sort of hold out my hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's hard for me to compromise all the flights that, and, and it's not just the flights, but it's like, it's one thing you could plan, like where to see all the regular stuff. It's all the it's all the have to travel minute. to last minute. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and there's, it's, and it's not just flights. It's like you got to stay someplace and, mm-hmm. and, and preferably just not curled up on the roadside. Yeah. And you have to rent a car or get get around somehow. I mean, I understand uh, the guy that did the world big year. Right. I mean, he was really good at finding local people to take care of him and, and you know, that sleep on his sofa, their sofa and yeah. take him around. And it's, I mean, it would be uh, you couldn't do it. It would be too expensive if you right. if you you actually paid for all that. <laughs> well, and it's not, I mean I think part of what happens in that in in the way that he did it, where he never went home. I mean he was oh yeah he his, was on the road yeah he was on the road for the entire year. I think he had two weeks in Oregon at his parents' house where he was you <laughs> right. know catching the North American birds there. But but essentially you're not you're not paying for a house or rent you know, and so you're yes. putting that money into right. to traveling, which it doesn't. It doesn't balance unless your rent is someplace like New York City, I guess. But uh, right. but it still is – at least it's it's not quite as bad as people might imagine if they're trying to maintain a residence and do this. Right. But it still – it adds up It adds up quite a bit. And so for you though, it, the excitement and adventure of it is, is worth, the, worth yeah, the sort of the inconvenience. Yeah. And I have an extraordinarily supportive husband. Um, after I read the book The Big Year, which mm-hmm. is what made me do my ABA Big Year, I was given the book The Big Year by a – birding friend in Texas. Yeah. And I couldn't stand to read it because I knew it would do what it yeah. did. It would just give me, oh my God, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and so I read the book and I did a rough calculation of how much in the book they must have spent to go the places they mm-hmm. went. I just did a rough calculation. I told my husband, we both laughed about it and, and it wasn't discussed. And then a couple months later, my husband said to me, when do you think we should get a second mortgage? And I said, what, what are you talking? What he said? Well, if you're going to do this big year thing, and I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> so, so then I went back to the the drawing board and and tried to figure out how to cut costs yeah. to actually do it right. But but he knew I wanted to do it. He just yeah. he and he but he knew I was not going to agitate for something so uh, so outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, it's uh. I suppose Texas is a good place to be based out of because there's a lot of birds Texas in Texas. Texas is spectacular. I mean, on my Texas big year, I got 522 species. Yeah. Now, a lot of those were rarities in Texas, but not so rare elsewhere. Yeah. So I only needed another 200 birds yeah. to finish up. <laughs> you can get a chunk of those in Alaska, I suppose. Yes, I Western came, Alaska. I, came, I was six weeks in Alaska that year. D- mostly out in the west or? Uh, well, the north slope for a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, ADAC. St. Paul, mm-hmm. Gamble, each yeah. of those twice. Yeah. No, not Gamble in the fall. Gamble in the spring only. Yeah. And um, I didn't go anywhere down in the southeast because most of the birds here yeah. are lower 48 birds. Right. Or Canadian birds. Right. I went to Canada a couple times. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, you know, and this year you're going to go visit Hyder, I'm sure. I'm going to Hyder. Yeah. Hyder is, is only known to birders, uh, only cared about by birders who 
want to do an Alaska list because everything there is far easier to find somewhere Anywhere else, else. <laughs> in North America. But right. because it's that southeasternmost sort of point, and there's We're several species. We're relying on quite a few there. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's several species that are regular there um, and nesting even there potentially that you just won't find anywhere else. Right. And so you kind of have to do that if you want to want to get that. So do you have a, a kind of a target um, number for this year? <laughs> well, um, last year, I didn't do big year, but I did travel to St. Paul and Gamble mm-hmm. um, and Barrow, and I got 227 species. Yeah. Not doing a big year. So I figured, uh, obviously, if I'm doing a big year, I should get at least that many. So right. that's my minimum. But, but my sort of my working minimum is 250. Yeah. But I, when I go back over the list and try to figure out how I'm going to get 250, I don't even know how I'm going to get that. Yeah. But the people who have done – other people who have done them have gotten in the range of – I understand, like 275 yeah. in that range. So to me, if I could get in to 275, that would be spectacular. Yeah, I've met a couple of birders this year who have said, you could get 300. And I think, I don't know about that. But anyway, that's the sort of ballpark yeah. we're talking about. So kind of somewhere between 250 and, and 300. 300. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I got 300, I'll just go die happy. Yeah. I, I, of course, every time I do a big year, I say, that. well, this is it. I'm not going to do any more of not, these. Not do any more. Is there a time in the year when you're like, man, why did I sign up for this again? Well, um, this book that I mentioned, I, I while I was I, – I took journal, I did journaling the entire year. And mm-hmm. when I'm emotionally wrought up and have time, I write – Doggerel poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and much of that that I wrote that year was lamenting why was I wasting this time? Why was I wasting our all the money we've ever earned in our and then some? Um, you know, going on and on and bemoaning how horrible. You know, why was I doing this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially sort of, well, February is grim almost anywhere. Yeah, it's just because you know you've gotten what you what's a, what you can find in January and and then when Things you wait, haven't then you wait, yet. And yeah. you wait. Yeah, um, but sort of by about May when everything is happening everywhere and there is no way to chase everything, and you start realizing the impossibility of that you're going to miss stuff. You're just yeah. going to miss it. I mean, I went to California in January on a pelagic trip. I went to a festival there. I got lots of birds, and then I forgot that California existed. And it was September before I got back to California. Well, I almost missed a whole bunch of birds that were leaving. Oh, yeah. I was just like, I forgot. Spring, I thought, I've never lived and thought about migration in the West. Yeah. But, of course, they do that too. Right. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, my God. So I went to California like four more times. Catching now. I, I took a bunch of pelagic trips, but I also did land birding. Every yeah. time the pelagic trips are canceled because of weather, which they were often. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, and I suppose um, – so I think California must – I think it has the second – is Texas maybe the number one? Yeah, they're buying all the time. Every time a new bird is reported oh, in, I see. So in they're, each state, they're, so they're back and forth. I see. Texas, so, of course, is ahead. But. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, Texas has kind of that, that yes. southern border there where a lot of stuff yeah. kind of just barely yeah. sometimes comes across. And, and, and uh, so a lot of good me- Midwestern northern birds come down into, come te- down into, into North into Texas. North Texas. Yeah, so and you, actually a snow bunting came all oh, the way wow. down to the lower Rio Grande to, – to, South Padre Island during my big year and on December 25th instead of being Christmassy somewhere else I was driving to and getting the snow bunting in Texas oh wow <laughs> <laughs> well and you know snow bunting is one I haven't seen here they show up here 
not very often. They're more common in more open, snowy places. Right. Um, we don't have a lot of open habitat here, but uh, it is kind of interesting, you know, the the notion of vagrancy this last fall. I, I don't, did you go see the yellow-throated warbler that showed up in Gustavus? No. no. So and, the, and, and usually I don't chase birds if I'm not doing a big year. I sort of ho- resting my yeah my frequent flyer miles trying to not use them up so fast yeah no that makes sense especially if you're thinking about doing <laughs> yes, one yes right you just got to just close your eyes and pretend they're not there <laughs> well it was interesting cuz you know that yellow-throated warbler was and apparently they are not known for vagrancy uh in the west um and it showed up in Gustavus, and there were some Asian vagrants as well. And, of course, most people were excited about the Asian vagrants. But it was pointed <laughs> out that if you looked at the miles that they traveled out of their normal range, this yellow-throated warbler had traveled just as far as these Asian vagrants wow. yeah. because it was 2,500 miles from its you know normal mm-hmm. normal uh, range in kind of the, I guess, Tennessee and, and right. eastern, eastern United States. Yeah, I think and, I got uh, my first one of those in North Carolina okay. years ago. <laughs> yeah, and it was that was the first record for the state, and, and it was there for i don't know two or three days or something wow. and so it was yeah it's just it, we often don't think we're so kind of tend to be a little north american biased i guess and right. asian vagrants are exciting but you know when you bird in a specific spot like texas where snow bunting's like big thing. that's a that's <laughs> that's big news even though for north america it's like it's easy to find right well the odd thing is i i came to sitka today to look for a wood duck I lived in the east where wood ducks were like as common as mallards or mm-hmm. – I mean it's – only birder would set their mind so that things that were once common are rare. I mean, they're, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of funny how that works. It's uh, – you know, I, you get excited about something that because you've seen it in a new place, yes, and and right. you sort of recognize that it's unusual. It's rare where you are, yeah, <laughs> or yeah. where it is. <laughs> and I mean, that's I mean, it's uh, I suppose I like to think of like birding, sort of like the lottery. You know, you're just <laughs> or it's the lottery. You're playing the 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 slot machines or something. Like you go out, and most of the time, all you see is and which isn't to say that that isn't fun, also because right. it's, it, is. it is great it to is. see the the regular birds and look at behaviors and and that kind of thing and get to know them. But it's also there's just some Something like really exciting about the bird that you know that shouldn't be there, but but it decided to go. Somehow it got there. Go someplace strange, and and then you get to find it, and uh, you know especially the f- first records, and I, I don't know. It's it's kind of this weird yeah. social yeah. thing that happens, I suppose. And yeah, during my uh, ABA Bay year, a bird came into South Texas called a white crested Elenia from mm-hmm. south of the border. Um, I made a list. Bef- I always make a list before the beginning of a big year on what I think I might get. There are bunches of Alanias in south of the border. No Alanias were on my list. Yeah. I mean, I got a call. I was in February. It was in February, and I'm in the grocery store, and I get a cell phone call from one of my friends saying, "Did you see? That there's something called an Alania in the in the valley." And I so I, I mean, I was being diligent, good housewife, and I was buying groceries for supper and everything. And I called my husband and I said. I'm heading down to the valley. Supper will be soon and fast. And so he came home, shoveled in food while I was packing, and, and I, I left. It was a it was a ten hour drive down to the lower to the South Padre Island. I got there at three in the morning, um, and slept in my car right where it. There's a little lot where a woman puts out oranges and water and good stuff for birds. Yeah, and that's where it was. And it started getting light, and then another couple cars arrived in the middle of the night, and we all got out, and it was still dawn. I mean, it was just, you could hardly see, and we're peering into the dusk, <laughs> hoping for this bird. And this little bird is flitting around, and all you could see was that it had white on the top of its yeah. head. It's just white, and it was it. By the middle of the afternoon, it was gone, and no one ever saw it again. Yeah. 
people flew try flew in from all over the United States to try to get that bird. And all year long, people when they heard I was doing a big year, they'd say, "Did you get that Alania?" I mean, they didn't. Nobody. Yeah. If you didn't live in Texas and get there immediately, you didn't. Yeah, get yeah. The sort of I guess the, the notorious one day wonders. Yeah, it was uh, definitely. And that's where, like, uh, you know, in Alaska, scissor-tailed flycatchers shown up a, a oh, handful of times. And and uh, somebody was was telling me about that. And one showed up in Juneau a few years. Actually, one showed up here on Kruzoff Island. Wow. Um, How did somebody find it? I mean, who was finding it? Well, that's <laughs> – so so St. Lazaria is a bird national right, wildlife right. refuge out there. And so there was somebody that was working out there that was just – he was on the south shore of Kruzoff Island. And, and he had a camera – as well, and so it's, just, it's not a great video, but it's a scissor tail flycatcher, so it's you know they're they're not really subtle with their with their tails right, there. Right. <laughs> uh, that's what it was, and it was there like like literally fifteen minutes. Never never saw again. The one in Juno, somebody uh, somebody was telling me about it. Said people in Juno were like, "Why did nobody come visit this?" And he goes, "Because they're notorious for not sticking around at all. Right. Like they're there." you know, an hour and gone. When I was a teenager in Wisconsin, walking along the road along my parents' property, I, I visited the creek in mm-hmm. the back, and I'm coming back, and on a power line along the road, there's this bird, and I thought it was holding a stick. And what is this bird holding a stick? Because I can see this long thing hanging down from yeah. below. I had a scissor tail flycatcher in Wisconsin. Oh, nice. And, which is really, really, really rare. I've since learned, last two years ago, there was one in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. But, of course, I didn't report it anywhere. Right. I didn't... <laughs> Weren't hooked <laughs> there into was that. no place to report. Yeah, well, and that's—I mean, I guess you probably saw them all the time in North Texas, and as I understand, that's oh, kind yeah. of their they, primary range. They, they should range. be the state bird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, North Texas and into Oklahoma. The Texas Ornithological Society—it is the emblem bird. Oh, okay. the society. Yeah, scissor tail is. And, and I, guess, I and I did get one for my South Dakota big year, which is also oh, yeah. right there. Yeah. Well, that's what I understand <laughs> about them. Is like that's their core range. They do wander, but, but they, they are wander. notorious for showing up anywhere. Right. In North America, basically. We hopefully, they'll be in Alaska this year. Yeah, well, one, just one is all I need. Where you happen to be, where I'm a, going or <laughs> am right that minute. Yeah, because they don't seem to stick around for very long. And so, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Last year, of course, we had the uh, common cuckoo that showed up on Harbor Mountain here, <laughs> and there was a couple that was they. I, I didn't talk to them, but a couple other people uh, that I know talked to them, and they had been in. Anchorage, when the Tarek Sandpiper, they just happened to be there. Right. And they just happened to be here when the cuckoo wow. showed up. Where and are so they, they now? Let's I, follow I, them I don't around. know. They, but they just, it was kind of, they they were in the state just kind of visiting and they wow. were birders, not really, you know, going to, you know, the, the, the places that you would go to find the Asian right. vagrants, you know, right. your Gamble, like Prince, uh, you know, Bering Sea kind of area. So are you planning to spend a fair amount of time in the uh, along the Bering Sea, I guess? Yeah, I've got my my um spring plans made. Yeah. I haven't I can't Last year I I wanted to visit Gamble and St. Paul in the fall, but I didn't know which place to go first. So I contacted birding experts who are in each place normally each yeah, fall yeah. and said, should I go to Gamble first or St. Paul? And they both said their place should be first. <laughs> so I just had to flip a coin. But you, you you cannot, this is another horrible thing about birding, you can only be one place at a time. Yeah. You, and once you choose, there's a bit of time that lapses before you can change right. that <laughs> especially if you have to fly yeah and i mean there let's see I, do you, you have cannot to fly go directly you have to go back to anchorage you're right you have to you have to go all the way back to anchorage yeah. to get to yeah. get from one or the other yeah it's those are hard to reach places and and i you know in some ways to say you just don't know what's going to show up at either one of them um, right. you don't i mean the little birdies that are wandering around from asia haven't 
told anybody which right. place they're going to land. Yeah. If, if anywhere, they may just land in the water and nobody see them. But yeah, uh, yeah, it is kind of interesting. And so I suppose, I suppose, so you're going to spend a good chunk of the spring out out there. Yeah, I'm going to Adak, and then I'm going to Gamble, and then to Nome. Yeah, and and shortly after that, I'm going to Hyder. Hider, yeah, hit yeah. the hit the summer birds yeah. and. Uh, but, but there's some time in there, and it all gets sort of vague in my head. I've got this extraordinarily detailed calendar that I yeah. carry with me almost everywhere. Um, but that I have to, I have to go up to the center of the state mm-hmm. to get birds sort of from the Toke Fairbanks Toke border right range that kind of eastern interior. Yeah, they're they're like I I met with one of the birders that's a very experienced birder in Anchorage, and I took him to lunch to pump his brain. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, and he figured out about six species that if I went there sort of before June is over. Yeah. Um, Anchorage Audubon is running a trip to Dutch Harbor, which I um, probably dumbly agreed to coordinate. And mm-hmm. and so – and I'm going on it, but that, it locks me into going then. Right. <laughs> um, so we are – a bunch of us are taking the ferry from Homer uh, to the, Dutch Harbor. The, the four-day thing. Yeah. And then – and I'm still in the process of working out the charter boat because it only holds six people, and there's a whole lot more than six on this on the yeah. ferry going over. So it, next week, I think I get to contact the people that are in the lottery, get to go. <laughs> well, and I suppose that's a difference with uh, Alaska. I mean, maybe South Dakota is similar in some respects, but the season here is is kind of short. It is extraordinarily short, and yes. and there's a lot of country to cover. And to get the regular things even while not missing the vagrant right. season. Yeah. Um, I mean, all these birds are not sitting still while I'm and, yeah. and waiting for me to get there to find them. <laughs> yeah. So are you going to go for the gray-headed chickadee this year? No. Or, so I've decided, decided that one's... I've decided Alaska – I mean, it would be different if that was – That's. I mean, in Alaska, that's a larger percentage of the time that I actually have to bird right. up here. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because, I mean, basically you get all the regular stuff for the winter – and and you pretty much have that already. Yeah. Um, and and now it's just waiting for spring. Right. But there will be spring overshoots in, you know, spring and early overshoots in southeast that you're going to probably miss because you're in I the Because I've got to go everywhere sea. else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, – and I suppose it maybe slows down a little bit and in late summer. some of these birds, you know, might stay a little yeah. bit. Yeah. They don't – most of them are coming up here to breed. So – but the trouble is they don't breed any place that – that I can get to mostly. Yeah, they're out in the middle of all that vast wilderness. <laughs> so Nome is a good place. You, you catch some of the breeding Nome birds there good. in Nome. Yeah. Nome is yeah. good, and then there's a lot of good things known about places to go in Nome mm-hmm. that are high probabilities of getting birds. <laughs> yeah, and then are you also going to to Barrow? I'm going to Barrow. I haven't scheduled it yet, but the best time to go for the the <laughs> the main couple birds that you can get yeah. up there are the Ross's gull right. and maybe Ivory gull. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the fall, isn't it? Yeah, no, uh, October. Yeah, like yeah, cold. Yeah, it's starting dark to get, starting cold. to get cold and dark there. Yeah, um, and the the Ross's gall is easy to get at mm-hmm. that time. The I did this in my ABA big year, and I went with a friend, a woman, the one that gave me the big year book. Yeah. She and I went up there together, and and we had the first day we were there two days. We didn't count the Ross's galls. They're all going by west to east, west to east, or mm-hmm. more or less. The second day, we decided to sort of try to count as many as we could. We got at least 1,500 oh, wow. going by. I mean, easy to find. And that year, we had a couple ivory gulls. I went this last year, a similar amount of, of Ross's gulls and no ivory no gulls. No ivories. But yeah. um, one of the birders from Washington State contacted me who was up there when I was up there. He also went back in November 
ivory gulls are there. I see. So that's the the fallback if I don't get ivory yeah. gulls in the spring and gamble or yeah. somewhere. Head back out to Yeah, go. Well, and I suppose yeah, so in this, you know, in the I guess it's the early summer like June usually is when you get those those spring overshoots that that, you know, are are vagrant from the south. And they could show up anywhere, but they seem to often show up in southeast. Southeast, yes. Yeah. Yes. But that's also when you're getting the Asian overshoots in, in western Alaska. Right. So hard to be need to be cloned. Yeah, yeah those are those are <laughs> those are it's hard to get further apart in the state there. Right. And then uh, and then that summer you're just gonna be hitting the, the breeding bird areas, I suppose. Yeah, and then and then the shorebirds start moving through right. and I won't I won't get them all in spring for sure. Mm-hmm. And so I mean by July already. Yeah, it's true that they're some they're of them will starting be coming through. Shorebirds are um, heading south by July for sure. So. Some even late June. Yeah. But it, um, again it'll 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 start looking feeling like February in that there'll be it'll be hard to know where to go or if there's any point yeah, in going anywhere. Right. <laughs> and then uh, and then you start to get the fall the misdirections in August Asian and September. Rarities come in in the yeah. fall quite often. Yeah, and the, so the again the same thing the the southeast and and western Alaska competing with Asian right. and, and North American vagrants. Right. Both of which are good birds for the state, but right. so you just be zigzagging back and yeah, forth. Again, and each one counts one, so you just yeah, have to decide try which to is maximize the the ones. <laughs> and, and I suppose in some respects, you know, southeast often these these birds will end up wintering here. Yeah, and, and was, so yes, thank so goodness can, some did this last year, so I was able to go down early and get you know get get the, the towy spotted towy. Oh, and, that's right. Yeah, that was a good that's a good one for western meadowlark. <laughs> oh, is that you got both of those in Juno, or did you get the meadowlark in Juno, Ketchikan? Juno. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ketchikan often gets a lot of interesting birds in yeah, the fall, and, yeah. and uh, has you know the other advantage of having Steve Heinel there, who's right. who's you know tirelessly right. you know looking for these birds, and, th- and right. that definitely and he's helps. Very very helpful when you go there. <laughs> yeah. So. so. Um, so I just imagine you'll get to see. Is part of what you enjoy about this just seeing different different places that you wouldn't otherwise have. Right. And I'm taking pictures of them all because it, it's it's in an astoundingly wonderful state. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's beautiful. St- I can't get used to being in the mountains all the time anyway. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I suppose Barrow, is, you don't have too many mountains. <laughs> it is, I suppose, if coming from Wisconsin and and sounds like the place you've mentioned, yeah, Wisconsin, Fort Worth, Texas, Texas, and of course now South Dakota was mountains, yeah, Black Hills, but yeah, there. not quite the ocean and, and no, no ocean. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually uh, I've never lived near ocean except in Alaska. Oh, okay. I mean Texas is on the Gulf, but that's like yeah, ten were, hour drive, right? Or, and North Carolina, you were inland. And, yeah, I was on Raleigh, which was a four hour drive, which yeah. is still. Raleigh is a good place to bird because it has from ocean to the mountains. And a lot of spring migrants come up the mountains. So So are you going to try and squeeze in a pelagic trip in the late summer, early fall? Um, Yeah. There's a gulf trip across from June. Oh, right. The the ferry. Yeah, Yeah, the cross island ferry. ferry. The cross gulf ferry. That's the only one I know of so far. But if something else presents itself, chances are if I can fit it in, I will. Yeah. The challenge, you know, Sitka is, is... Completely uninteresting for anybody from the lower 48 because the, you know, the birds that they could see would be much easier to go on one of those trips out of Oregon or California. Right. The only thing that makes Sitka a little bit interesting from a pelagic perspective is that the, is that the shelf is close. But it's only interesting to state listers. And so you know, the pool of state listers is relatively small. I know that they in past years have run a boat out of, I think, Seward or Homer 
um, and and people in Anchorage generally, mm-hmm. and, and a fairly large boat. But it, they run like due south for 24 hours, mm. and then they turn around and go back. Oh, wow, huh? And and so they have done that when they've had enough interest. But it's kind of expensive because it's a you know it's a big boat and it's a long right. run. Here you can go out and back in a day, you know, in a small boat easily. But the you know the challenge is the weather because it's a small boat. You have right. to not have terrible weather and. The best time of year for listers is, of course, the it's fall. Terrible weather. <laughs> yeah, it's the fall when it, it could be great or it could be really bad. Um, so there hasn't been – I mean, there's been a few pelagic trips. I think the first bullish year water was mm. documented out of here. Dave Sonneborn okay. was on a trip out. And, uh, you know, in the fall when the sea surface temperature is the warmest is when, when those birds are uh-huh. most likely to be out here. But uh, since then, I guess it seems that they're actually not that unusual and just mm. one of those things where – People hadn't found them. People, yeah, people, people who were interested weren't out there. So, and maybe a little bit about the water getting warmer. Yeah, that could be too. Some some climate changes and things yeah. and things moving moving around. So, so you're basically keeping your ears and eyes open for right, any right. reports of anything yes. that I, uh, I'm, I'm getting a line on all the the avid birders in every yes. parts of the state, including here. Yeah, uh, trying to hoping that they're. Thinking of me when they find a rarity. Yes. And so if people are, you know, interested in following along, I know you're keeping a web blog and it's ever is it Lynn, Lynn Barber blog? Lynnbarberblog.com, yes. Dot com. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're it seems like you're doing a daily a daily post. Yeah, I, I, so far. I've birded somewhere every day. Yeah. One day last week when I was just at a loss to think of what I could look for or where. I, I limited it to my yard birds, which yeah. is in my blog post said, it is bur- bur- birding when you look in your yard. It is still birding, even yeah. though it doesn't seem the same. It is still and, and is very valuable. And I've had rare birds in my yard places, not here yet. Yeah. Do you keep a yard list? I do. Yeah. I have two notebooks. One is just sitting in the on the dining room table, except mm-hmm. when you have people over and then I swish it off. <laughs> but but it's sitting – and because the dining room table looks out on the back porch, looks out mm-hmm. in the backyard – and I just write down birds from the backyard, and then the other notebook goes with me everywhere else when I leave yeah. the house. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, I mean that's it's it's always to me it's really interesting, you know the, um, just like I said earlier the the wide variety of ways people enjoy birds, you right. know from from the extremely casual I like to have a bird feeder or a bird bath even in my yard, and I just watch you know watch the little tweety right. birds right. out there you know bathing, and and I am a little. Um, quite a bit further in the direction of being compulsive about, you know, I try to limit myself geographically a bit, or I do limit myself quite a bit geographically, but but I want to know the name of everything and be able to recognize and, and tell you about it, you know, what, where it's likely to occur here, you know, when, and, and those kind of things. Um, and But I I am less inclined to travel to see birds. Like I friends that just like to travel, not necessarily because they're keeping a life list that they're growing, but because they like to see birds in different places. And right. so, yeah, um, and, then, and some people tend to think that the only the way do it, they do it is the only right yeah, way. Yeah, and That's I mean, there is no right way. It's just it's your own thing. Yeah, and you know it's as important to you or, and as serious as you want it to be, or as fun or as whatever. Yeah. And I suppose part of it for you, you, you probably get to meet a lot of different people mm-hmm. doing this, you know, especially in a big year style where you're right, right. you're uh, introducing yourselves to folks who have seen something. Uh, and uh, is that that part of the part of the fun of it? Yeah, it is. And and also uh, when I met this big year birder who, in 2003, who was actually doing a big year, the first person I'd met who's mm-hmm. doing that kind of thing, he said one of the values he kept a pretty good. He did a sort of a every week 
mm-hmm. post on a website. That was before blogs were yeah. common. And and he said one of the reasons to keep posting stuff on on somewhere or making it public, he says there are a lot of people who who can't or just don't feel like going on doing a big year, doing a lot of traveling. But they can live vicariously yeah. through you, through you. And I thought, well, that's cool. You know, yeah. You know, people can read and think, wow, that's fun. You know. Well, that that was you know <laughs> Noah Stryker's uh, world big year yeah. last year. Like he posted, I think it was on Audubon.org or something. Every day, you know, traveling around the world. Uh, and I, from the very, I mean, I heard about it. I don't. I think because I read the ABA blog, right. and so yeah. he used to post on there, yeah. and then. And then he said he was doing this. And so I, I read every day. I pull, I mean, it didn't always post every day because of internet connection yeah, issues. Yeah, I mean, even here, I'm having trouble connection right now. I mean, yeah. I, just before I got, came over here. <laughs> yeah, getting the, getting the connection in. And so, but I mean, I enjoyed, I would never want to do that. But it was fascinating yeah, I mean, to just, just. It's like reading a novel, really. Yeah. I mean, it's somebody, see, it's gonna some, see somebody else's story. <laughs> yeah. Is he going to make 5,000 species? And, and yeah, he, did. he got, I think he got 6,000 in yeah, the end. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it was it was pretty impressive, and so I've I've also enjoyed reading reading your web blog so far. You know, I I saw you. I guess you must have posted it on the on the ABA blog, which I saw, and then I so I subscribed to your your uh, your big year blog for this year, and been watching your your uh, travels around to Kodiak and and then. Uh, um, Catch a can and Huna. I say when I saw that you were going, to, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right. I had heard about that Brewer's Blackbird right, there. Right. Kind of got to catch those." And so yeah, I'll, be, I'll look forward to seeing seeing where you end up, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. maybe you'll end up back here again if something else. I'm hoping. I'm hoping because I yeah. want rarities to show up. So y'all <laughs> out there, <laughs> yeah. If anybody sees anything, you know, there's a few things that seem to be. I think Western Gull is one that has shown up here. It means that means we have to be out looking in our gull flocks in right. in March Which and is April. Oh, so exciting. Yeah, I, I kind of. <laughs> like doing it it's just i have to get over there you know during the right. day and have time to because that's it it's just, just like a thousand two twenty five hundred goals out there and you're like well mm. sleep let's find the one that looks different <laughs> they all look different yeah <laughs> or the same and it's just yeah like, oh. <laughs> it's all just, just massive goals and they're all moving around right. so but it's it's i enjoy it you know i like i like looking for for the different birds um i'm not Alerophile by any by any means. The nice thing is here they're pretty easy. There's only right. a handful they, that they show up regularly. The possibilities are yeah. reduced. <laughs> yeah, and so you just look for things. And I don't really pay too much attention to the weird looking juveniles, you know. So um, the really serious people get into trying to identify they do. those. They do. And they're 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 counting feather marks and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've read some of the. Email discussions about the finer points of uh, right. goal and, identification. And the problem with gulls is if they would just stay the same feather plumage, you could memorize them. But yeah. they go through these like three or four year cycles. Yeah. And and it's changing always. It's not. I mean, there's a certain version that's like the second year or the third year, but it's there's in between. Yeah. Because they got to go from one to the other. Yeah. Uh. No, it's it's kind of. It's a special breed of, of person that, right. that gets into those. So, uh, But it's fun to read about those, too. So, yep. Well, um, I should let you go here. Is there anything else you want to share with folks before we no. wrap up? Just the birding is fun, so I enjoy it, whatever amount you want to do. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, I'm glad you had a chance to get down here, and you got the wood duck right away. Yep. So that, I'm sure, was a, a relief to, to find it, you know, 10 minutes off the plane, basically. Right, exactly. <laughs> Never can count on that necessarily, but uh, gratefully, you took some time to visit with me. So thanks for, thanks for coming in. You've been listening to a conversation I recorded and originally aired back in March of 2016. I was speaking with Lynn Barber, who at that time was just getting started on her Alaska Big Year 
She ultimately got 307 species of birds in the state. As far as I can tell, that remains the most by a significant margin that anyone has seen in Alaska in a single calendar year. I want to thank Lynn again for joining me for the conversation, and thank you for listening here today. As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. This show in particular was inspired by the spate of unusual birds that have shown up, including a black and white warbler, tropical kingbird, and others. If you're seeing any birds out there that look a little different to you, I'd love to hear about it. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or you can get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. Until next time, this has been Matt on the Sitka Nature Show, KCAW, Sitka.